Hello, and welcome to Book Squad Goals. My name is Kelly, and I think I would survive the apocalypse by, uh, I on like honestly, I probably wouldn't survive the apocalypse. I would just die. <laughs> That's so I was right. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, Susan had a point there. I'm not prepared. I don't have any, like, canned goods. I have maybe, like, one can of tuna at most. And that's for <laughs> Penelope, I bet. That's for Penelope. You have a lot of LaCroix, though, right? I do. All thanks to Emily, who uh, bought me some LaCroix <laughs> when she left as a parting gift. I and Mary, I also probably wouldn't survive, but I guess my most applicable apocalypse skill is I can sew. And I, I guess that could be for clothes or wounds. I don't really know. <laughs> Haven't tried it out. Have you tried it on a wound? Nope. Okay. All right. Hi, I'm Emily. And um, so I was thinking about how I would survive the apocalypse. And I think I would survive on my cake decorating skills. What? Like, um, <laughs> like PETA from The Hunger Games. That's a very specific apocalypse. Yeah. Well, you know, that's... Look... Hunger Games, that's how he survives. He is able to disguise himself because he has excellent cake decorating skills. Which so I literally still, don't even remember that happening. That does not make sense. That was sense really to lame, me. too. Oh, yeah, it's really ridiculous. <laughs> I'll probably die, but that's all I have to do. So. <laughs> it's worth a shot. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got. <laughs> all right, I'm Susan, and I was thinking since I have three dogs, I could train them to be a little hunting pack. Ooh. And they could go bring me food, which for them is bringing me probably cats, honestly. No. So. Oh, no. It's happened before. Um, but if that didn't work, I, I'm a really good hider, so I would probably just hide for long periods of time until I starved <laughs> to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how long of a survival time are we talking here? Because I think that's an important element. Like, am I going to survive, like, forever? And like, I mean, be I could hide for or? a solid 10 minutes. <laughs> And yeah, then I'd be minutes. bored. <laughs> I think I could last a week, maybe. I'm, I'm thinking a day for me, tops. Yeah. Mine really depends on the dogs. If they can do stuff for me, then, you yeah. know, I'd last a, a week, maybe. Yeah. Um, we also have a special guest with us today on the podcast. My brother, Adam, is here with us. Well, he's not here. He's at home. But he's here on on the Google what Hangout call. What is here? Yeah, what is really? Yeah, none, is none of us are really here. <laughs> yeah. None of us are together. <laughs> yeah. So welcome, Adam. How would you survive the apocalypse? Um, well, if you survived, I'm sure you would, like, take a hit for me and help me out. So that'd be <laughs> a plus if we were together. <laughs> yes. As my big sister, I would be counting on you. So, so you're saying we should form, like, a sibling alliance? Yeah. Definitely. All right. Okay. Also, Fair. I feel like since I'm not sure about this, but I think I read the book first, so I've had the most time to like mm-hmm. soak it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I know yeah. I know my way around hungries at this point. Yeah. yeah. So that's <laughs> true. Good. Adam's like the expert at this book because he read it before we did. So. Also, I watched Shaun of the Dead yesterday, so I'm like yeah. up to date with my Simon Pegg survival mm-hmm. skills. Yeah, he's been boning up, <laughs> boning up. Yeah. Another and because I'm a because I'm a total nerd, I have a samurai sword. So there you go. Yeah, that's the quintess that's the quintessential samurai survival. It is, right? man. So. <laughs> you really should have led with that. I feel. Yeah. 
You're probably just going to survive like way past the rest of us for that <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> I'm glad that you want to make an alliance with me, the cake decorator. Yeah, like, yeah Emily's going to basically hiding. do nothing to help you. You're going to like think she's going to protect you. And then you're going to end up protecting her. With the sword. <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking about the apocalypse because we read The Girl with All the Gifts. I don't think we've even said that yet. Yep. Um, (laughs) So that's what this episode's about, is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. And I am going to read the Goodreads summary um, and then also explain the plot more because this summary doesn't really do that. But it does give you an idea of what's going on a little bit. We're starting to see that the Goodreads summaries are just really crappy but kind of hilarious. Who writes that? I don't know. (laughs) Do they get paid? Like, is it a thing where, like, on IMDb, people, like, just edit it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it, like... I think so. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, the last two we've read have been really bad in terms yeah. of actually summarizing anything about the book. But anyway. Okay, so, from Goodreads. Melanie is a very special girl. Dr. Caldwell calls her our little genius. Every morning, Melanie waits in her cell to be collected for class. When they come for her, Sergeant Parks keeps his gun pointing at her while two of his people strap her into the wheelchair. She thinks they don't like her. She jokes that she won't bite, but they don't laugh. How that belongs in this summary, I, I don't know. <laughs> Melanie loves this is, I'm pretty sure this is just the back of the book. <laughs> she loves learning about spelling and sums and the world outside the classroom and the children's cells. She tells her favorite teacher all the things she'll do when she grows up. Melanie doesn't know why this makes Miss Justino look sad. The Girl with All the Gifts is a sensational thriller perfect for fans of Stephen King, Justin Cronin, and Neil Gaiman. All of which I would argue are not that similar Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. terms of writing style, but whatever. Um, it's just like, do you like spooky things? Yeah. <laughs> Here. <laughs> I'm gonna, here's a hot take, Stephen King's a better writer than M.R. Carey. But, Ooh, um, shit. shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Come at me, M.R. <laughs> Look, I, I went to the movies today. And I saw two trailers for two different Stephen King movies. I saw no M.R. Carey trailers, so. Well, we saw the movie. We do know this was a movie. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, in that way, it's like Stephen King, I guess. Yes. But... I heard they're planning on remaking Pet Cemetery now also. Yes. Okay, I'm all all in for that. Anyway. I haven't watched this movie, though, so I guess I wasn't really all in you for this You didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I know, after yeah. I said that, and everyone was like, well, it sucked. And then I thought, well, I guess I... We're showing our hand. <laughs> yes, I mean, I feel like I had the strong reaction. I just texted everyone and said, it sucks. No punctuation. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was okay. Yeah. I expected more from Glenn Close. I just did not... We can talk about this yes, later. This is- we gotta okay. talk about this later. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a stab at actually summarizing the plot a little bit for people who haven't read it. Go for it. Um, because if you haven't read it and you heard what I just read, none of this is going to make sense. So. I told you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you learn nothing. Melanie is well, like a 10-year-old kid-ish. Um, and she and the other children, we've just heard, are kept in cells. And we know they're in some kind of a secure base that's run by military personnel and doctors who are studying these children. And then we find out that the children are what are called hungries, which are humans who have been infected with this fungus. Cordyceps. Cordyceps. Thank yeah. you. 
Yeah, I was like, it sounds. I always want to say osteo. Osteo. Like, it's the, like, it is like the fungus. It's a that, it's a real bone density problem. It's the fungus um, that like pilots <laughs> ants. It's like very common in ants. Yeah, if you ever oh. saw Planet Earth, they had a little part about it. Oh, okay, cool. I do Planet. know what you're talking about. It's terrifying. I'm glad I just found that out though. Now that I've already finished it. Um, <laughs> anyway, it basically treats their body like it, it, it's a parasite, and so it takes over their brain functions and lives off of the host. And the hungries then have an uncontrollable urge to eat other humans when they smell their pheromones. Hence why Melanie and the other kids are always like strapped into their chairs and have guns pointed at them when they're moving about because they might eat the people who are in charge of them. But while most hungries can't like think or feel anything and are essentially just dead like shells of people who used to be, Melanie and these other kids are able to learn and they have emotions and they can think and no one's really sure like why they're a different type of hungry. So I'm going to like not read all of this because this is not even a short summary that I wrote, but when the base (laughs) that they live at gets attacked by hungries and these survivalists called junkers, there's just a small group of them that escape together and it's Sergeant Parks, Miss Justineau, which is Melanie's favorite teacher, Gallagher, who's a soldier and Dr. Caldwell, who studies the hungries, the hungry children, and then Melanie. And so for the rest of the book, they're, like, trying to get back to where they came from and not die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what, what goes on. And Dr. Caldwell is a scientist who's trying to find a cure, essentially, for this Does she disease. really care about a cure, or does she just want to, like, find out so that she can be famous? She cares about a cure in that it will... Put her name, like, in history. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think she gives a damn about helping anyone. (laughs) Yeah, she acts like it's for noble reasons. But, yeah, she really just wants to, like, make her reputation, like, build her reputation. Yes. Yes. That bitch. (laughs) That bitch. Yeah, she's a biatch, for sure. So, Adam, why don't you tell us your initial thoughts? Adam! Of the book? Yeah. Yes. We we usually give this, like, after we talk about what we thought about the book, we rate it out of... Five stars. Out of five? Yeah. As, as yeah, for good on Goodreads. What would you give it, slash what did you give it on Goodreads? Can you give it a half a star? No. Like, that is nope. the eternal <laughs> struggle that we go through every single episode. So I have to choose between a three and a four. Yeah. I can go three and a half. Yeah, that yeah is but the eternal I mean, I cheat yeah. every week. So Yeah. So you can say, like, I would give this something and a half, but I'm going to have to do blah because I can't do a half. A three or a four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So talk, talk to us. What do you think? Okay. Well, um, my friend Alex first suggested that I watch the movie. And he told me he saw it and he really liked it. But he knew it was a novel. The movie was based on a novel. And he, even though he hadn't read the novel, he suggested that I read the novel first and then watch the movie. And so I did that. And I think that kind of, like, made me have a negative opinion of the movie somewhat. Yeah. If I had just seen the movie and not known anything about the book. But um, I listened to it on Audibles, which is kind of nice. Yes. So I just like, sat back and had a story read to me. <laughs> that narrator, though. Mary yeah. Princess. Miss Justine. Miss Justine. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed listening to it. I liked the uh, probably the first fourth of the book yes. the most, where it was just yes. the children at um hotel echo the main base and they were just sitting there and like miss just knew bringing in like spring flowers and teaching them about spring and reading them like greek mythology and stuff that was the most interesting thing to me but um 
I enjoyed it. It became more of like a typical mm-hmm. like zombie post-apocalyptic story as it went on and they were just kind of running from them and going from place to place. But um, I enjoyed the ending. The ending in the uh, movie kind of like made me a little mad. Even though it was like generally the same idea, it just felt a lot cheaper. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But um, overall, I really liked it. I thought, um, I mean, there were only like four or five major characters and so that's all you're really exposed to the entire time. But I think Miss Justinu and Melanie. I think in the movie they didn't even mention Miss Justinu hitting the kid before the apocalypse or whatever and killing them. Yeah, there was a, yeah. a vague reference to it where yeah. she asks Parks if he's ever killed a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, whatever he says, I don't even remember, something in a really strong accent. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, she go. He like says that Melanie loves her, and she says something like, "Like I didn't move out of the the way quickly enough." And she's implying that she means she's talking about Melanie. Like she didn't get out of the way before Melanie could fall in love with her or whatever. But <laughs> that makes no she sense. really, I think she's like also talking about the car thing. It's like yeah, a yeah. Weird moment. Like if you've read the book, you would understand what she was talking about, yeah, but not right. necessarily if you've just seen the movie. Um, yeah, I liked it. I would say that if I didn't watch the movie and because the movie and the book have been so like intertwined over time, like how I remember them, that I might give the book a four if I remembered it better. But because like I'm remembering a lot of scenes from the movie, I'm going to give it a three. (laughs) That's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. 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 I guess I'll I'll go next because I I feel like my view lines up almost completely with Adam. Like I loved the beginning of the book. And I had a different experience reading this because I listened to most of it as an audiobook on a trip to Florida for a conference. And I had two other people in the car with me and they became obsessed with it and finished the book before I did. Um but the narrator is so droning. In the audiobook. <laughs> and she's very British. Yeah. Which is usually fine, but for some reason it was not fine in this case. And I kept sort of almost falling asleep, but I was driving, so that was a problem. <laughs> but <Jeez>. anyway. Um, <laughs> she's like, but I loved it. <laughs> but, but the first part of the book, I was really taken in by it and so interested because I had no clue what this was about when I started listening to it. And we were, you know, a good few hours in. I was like, wait, there's zombies? <laughs> I mean, I had, I had no clue. And I was think, thinking there was some, like, really insidious plot going on and they were, like, being tested or whatever. Not that they were zombies. So, like, I was kind of surprised with it and that was nice. The first part of the book was nice. But then when it turns into a typical action thing, I was just kind of like, eh. But they got mm-hmm. me in the end. They got me in the end, and I liked the ending. Um, that narrator, though, like I would not recommend this as an audiobook. <laughs> I just really wouldn't. Well, Adam liked it. See, I disagree. <laughs> I'll go next because I disagree. I started reading this, and then I'd say like probably the last hundred pages I listened to because it was just you know you had other I had stuff a lot to of do. stuff to do, and I was like, look, if I listen to this, I can like take care of my other crap I can like go for a run I can clean up around the house and still listen so I listened to the last hundred pages of it so that was like I don't know like three hours or something like that a little over three hours um and I liked it better when I was listening to it than when I was reading it and it might just be because like the last hundred pages of the book picks up because I think 
you know, we talked about this a little bit before and we kind of, a lot of us agreed that the middle part was sort of like slower than the beginning and the end. Um, but I, I liked her voice. I thought it was very nice. And I, you know. Miss Justineau, you're my bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of agree with what you guys are saying. Other than that, as far as like the actual, uh, the actual time at the school, quote unquote school, was the most interesting to me. I read some review that said this was like Never Let Me Go and Walking Dead combined. And I was like, oh, I could I guess see like that. the school part I could see. So I thought that was sort of like an interesting comparison, especially and we're going to talk about this later. But like one of the central questions in Never Let Me Go is like what makes someone human? And I think that's definitely something that the author is playing with in this book as well. So even like thematically, it's got a lot in common with Never Let Me Go. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Never Let Me Go is one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm down for that. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot like The Walking Dead, too. I mean... Yeah, I haven't watched The Walking Dead. So I mean, I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've read the comic. You know, like a uh, hundred or so issues of the comic. Oh, just a hundred or so issues. <laughs> I know! I was like, isn't that a lot? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'd say, like, I would give this a three and a half. Um, I actually rounded what? it up. To you can't do that. You just said, Adam, you can't give halves. <laughs> Will you wait and let me finish before you yell at me? No. Um, I, I would give this a three and a half if I could, but I couldn't. So I've already rated this on Goodreads and I rounded it up to a four because I did really enjoy the beginning and the end. Um, my main qualm with this was a, was sort of like the narrative style, but I know we're going to talk about that later. So bam. Yeah, I'll, I'll go now. Um, <laughs> Because I had the same qualm, but I also won't talk about it right now. (laughs) Great segue. (laughs) Um, I had the same feelings about the three and a half, but I rounded down instead. Because for as much as I also loved the beginning, I effing hated a lot of the middle. Like, I was so bored. And I wanted to be – I mean, I thought that's when it was, like, really going to pick up. And I guess that is when – the action sort of starts, but there is, like, there's about a hundred pages where, like, almost nothing is happening. They're just riding yep. around or walking. Or chilling in the church. It's a walking Just book. talking about each other's thoughts. And, like, I, I'm like, is someone going to get fucking eaten soon? Because I need someone to get eaten or something. <laughs> I, I was need really it. thankful when Gallagher died because I was like, okay, finally. Poor Gallagher. Yeah. I know. But I actually thought that those scenes – where there's kind of some like grotesque stuff going on, were pretty well written. Yeah, um, but it's just like there was this long bump in the middle where I just got really angry with it. But I did, I did like the end, and it, it kind of brought me back. But I had to round down because I was just my level of anger was pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> high anger levels. Um, well, I <laughs> liked this book a lot. I uh, am also sort of like hovering between three and four, and I haven't really decided which way to go with it yet. But I'm tempted to go down to three just because I always kind of like want to round down because I feel like the further away I get from reading a book, like the less like excited about it I am. So I feel like that'll be a more realistic rating if I give it a three. But anyway, 
Um, I have this, I have the same problem where like there was definitely a chunk in the middle where they were like, not only were they just like talking about each other's thoughts and their own thoughts, but like they were thoughts that they had all been having already. And it was like the same, like we were being introduced to like, I'm having a new thought or feeling. It was just like the same shit over <laughs> yeah. and over. And it was like, why are we spending so much time on like Caldwell obsessing about her like sepsis and <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, you know, everything, like, like, Parks being like, I'm a moody soldier, and everything sucks, and, like, it just was, like, a lot of that. Um, but then, like, I guess around the point when Gallagher dies is when it really picks up again, and, like, from that point towards, like, until the end, it's really, really good. And I, I loved the whole beginning, too. So I think, like, overall... Like, it's really strong, and I like the characters for the most part, and I was interested in the story, and I did feel like it was different than a lot of zombie stuff that I have seen or read, just, like, this concept that there are, like, different types of zombies, which I thought was really interesting, that there could be, like, a zombie that's, like, all the way gone, and then, like, a baby zombie, basically, that's, like, born from a zombie, so then it's, like... baby zombie. Baby zombie. Kelly, that's like s- Kelly, this is a great segue into my first discussion question, which is Okay, zombies. well, let's go for it then. <laughs> You're already kind of answering it, which is great. But okay. um, I was – I haven't read a lot of other zombie stuff, but I feel like in the past several years, especially since with Walking Dead and stuff, it's been a big thing. So yeah, I was wondering how – what this adds to the zombie genre and like how well it works as a piece of zombie sci-fi and – I think you're onto something with your thing is about the different types of zombies. I want to hear more. Yeah. So I just think, like, I think that's really interesting. Although I haven't, I'm not like a zombie expert by any means. Like, I've seen like a number of zombie movies, but not like all of them. And I like really haven't read a lot of zombie stuff or like horror fiction in general. Um, though I don't know if I would classify this as horror, it's definitely more sci fi. Zombie, though there are some like pretty terrifying moments, but sci-fi can get pretty scary. I think that's true. I think there's like a fine line between sci-fi and horror. Yeah. Um, and I guess like, it can like be... Alien and Aliens. Yeah, the thing. Yeah. Well, Adam, you watched a zombie movie yesterday, um, so you are an expert. What do you think? Are you that- talking about Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yes. you know, like compared to something like Shaun of the Dead, what is this book doing with zombies that, you know, movies like that don't, or like 28 Days Later or something like that? 28 Days Later, they made them run for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this kind of picked up on that idea and was like, yeah, they're still running. But now they're also smart. <laughs> yeah. And Shaun of the Dead and like The Walking Dead and uh, Night of the Living Dead, that's all very traditional zombies where they're just like, ugh, and they walk at you, but... <laughs> 28 days later, they're infected with rage and they run. And with this one, they're infected with cordyceps and it's a little different also. So um, yeah. in that way, it's definitely not traditional zombies. It's it's know. closer to the 28 days later thing because like yeah. 28 days later, there's like a scientific explanation for why these people are getting in or becoming zombies because they're getting infected with a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, and I thought it was pretty interesting, too, that there was this whole element of, like, the zombies, you can, like, walk through a group of them if you're quiet and careful, and they uh, will, like, see you. 
They stole that. They stole that. From what? Uh, I mean, I don't know. When did this come out? 2013? Yeah, the book came out in uh, June 2014. I mean, I want to say The Walking Dead did that, like, way before. Oh, when he smears himself with all the goop. Yeah, and in, in the comics, they did it, too. Yeah. And it's just... And Shaun of the Dead, they act like zombies. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, oh, that's not... True. That's not... I don't know. I'm, just, I'm being but grumpy. I mean, I'm being grumpy because I've read an article about The Walking Dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they do act kind of more like plant-like, like Venus flytraps or something. Yes. Where if you walk by them cautiously, they won't move. But then if you trigger them, they'll snap at you. Right. You know? they're, they're, like, totally still. Like, they, yeah. they kind of... Um, like you're saying, they kind of like act like plants, and which which makes sense if you think about the the quote unquote like virus or whatever that's inside yeah, of them. Because the fungus, yeah. because yeah. yeah, it is like a growth. Well, it does ultimately turn into a plant, also. Yeah, right. Like these that's roots true. coming out and everything, and then the seed pods and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that I feel is different, and also the idea that like. And this is kind of getting into the ending a little bit, but you know we all like the ending a lot, so you know, spoiler guys, um, the the whole idea that like maybe we should just let the zombie apocalypse happen, and this is just like the new, this is the new evolution or the new species that's supposed to take over, and like fighting it is only creating violence, right? Because if we have this like brilliant child, like Melanie, for example, who is like part of this new species like what exactly is it that we're fighting so hard to save like in humanity <laughs> right so that was interesting but yeah. i mean i hadn't seen that angle before oh adam you were comparing this to that video game oh yeah you want me to get into that yes. another into video that? game segue thing i can say is you would support like the world ending to a plague because you play plague inc all the time oh so. i do play plague inc all the time and there is like a zombie <laughs> mode on plague inc and it's awesome. I saw you. Did you infect the world with kittens last time? Yep. <laughs> Everyone should How? download Plague Inc. for their iPhones or whatever. It's so fun. You're just a disease and you take over the world and it's amazing. So fun. That sounds fun. <laughs> so fun. All right. Anyway. Yeah, but the video game I was going to talk about was The Last of Us. And unfortunately, I've only read two zombie apocalyptic stories or been exposed to two narratives about cordyceps causing a zombie apocalypse and the girl with all the gifts is my second favorite out of the two that i've been exposed to so i don't know if that speaks loudly for the novel or not but i really like the last of us it's a really good game yeah yeah but um i mean it has a lot of similarities the production for the last of us started in 2009 it was announced in uh 2011 was released in june 2013 a year before the book came out and uh, I'm not saying he like stole it directly because the because uh, the book was um, based on a short story that he wrote that came out in 2013. But there are a lot of similarities. Cordyceps causes the infection that caused this apocalypse, and Joel and Ellie are the main characters in The Last of Us. And Ellie is this girl who's been infected, and Joel's trying to like protect her and take care of her. And there's this group called the Fireflies that ultimately are interested and uh harvesting her and dissecting her to get like the cure out of her that would ultimately kill her yeah and um that's very similar to melanie being like what dr caldwell thinks is the cure and wanting to dissect her to get the cure out of her and i mean it's cordyceps it's a very specific like explanation for yeah. an outbreak. so <laughs> and it also like the the last of us 
goes even a step further than the girl with all the gifts in the way only a video game can because you the player are put in the position of either letting these doctors get the cure and saving everyone or saving this character you've like formed a relationship with throughout the game I I remember the game got a lot of criticism based on that ending because people were like this isn't fair (laughs) Oh yeah. It's the classic whatever train track <laughs> like oh, yeah. thing with the lever. Yeah, if you change the lever, did you kill them or did you not? I totally well, saved the girl, you know? Yeah. Like well, I, I didn't really guy. care about these other people. Yeah. I was like, I've never met this doctor, I'll shoot him in the head, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't know you guys. <laughs> yeah. He seems nice enough, but I know who Ellie is. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like Miss Justino. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. Except I don't um want children to like be romantically interested in me (laughs) yeah she didn't want that did she (laughs) she didn't want it but she also was like melanie has a crush on me (laughs) (laughs) basically everyone had a crush on her yes yeah that's true i feel like even Probably even Dr. Caldwell had a crush on her, but she, like, channeled it into, like, an extreme hatred. Into science. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch got punched in the face, though. Yeah. yeah. This, I mean, I do think that using a fungus as an explanation for zombies is, like, a very distinct choice, though. Because, like Adam said, there's not a whole lot of narratives that do that. But even on top of that... Um, I don't know, like, giving an explanation to why there are zombies is a choice. Because a lot of zombie narratives don't even explain why they exist, they just exist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because a lot of times I think the people writing them aren't particularly interested in, like, delving into science at all. And that's yeah. sort of, like, when zombie narratives become horror. And Robert Kirkman, who writes the Walking Dead comics, has said that zombies for the Walking Dead are more like weather patterns than they are zombies because they're just there to get the characters to do things. Hmm. You know, like, oh no, there's a horde of whatever coming in. We got to move. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's not like they're really interested in them as zombies. Whereas in the girl with all the gifts, what they are is almost as important, if not more important than what they're going to do about them. Yeah. Especially since the central character is one of yes. them. Yes. So I guess that's the next topic is Melanie. 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 I just can't stop thinking about that audiobook. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't think I, I also listened to like the second um half of it maybe on like in the audiobook and I wasn't that bothered by I'm the only person who hasn't who did not listen to the, Look, any of it. On I the was audiobook. quite pleased with the audiobook. <laughs> it was better than. Uh, well, I'm not even going to get into the couple next door again because I we can't. Have, uh, we have done the couple next door. It is I know. dead. <laughs> it's dead. To us. I'm just saying this narrator was like ten times better than that and a few other ones that I've mm, had. Yeah. So it oh, wasn't yeah. that bad. Also on 1.25 speed, it's just perfect. So <laughs> at least she wasn't like the narrator for Game of Thrones Ooh. where he can't. Oh. Oh, he's so Peter, bad. He changes Peter Pitar. Baelish's name every time he says it. Pitar, Peter, I can't decide. Oh, Catelyn, Caitlin, we're not sure. We'll yeah. say both. He's awful. Yeah. Anyway, Susan, what was your question? It was about Melanie. Um, so <laughs> because she is a hungry, Parks and Caldwell especially don't trust her 
to be traveling with them. They like tie her to the roof of the <laughs> the car and, you know, have to chain her up and stuff. But she over and over again, like proves that she's trustworthy and she even saves their lives more than once. Um, so this goes back to what Emily was saying earlier. Like, what is the book saying about what it means to be a human? Yeah, I think this is interesting, especially because um, we kind of learn about all these I don't know, terrible things that other characters in the book have done who aren't, you know, hungries. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I don't know, like having these terrible urges or like sometimes not doing what's necessarily like good. It doesn't seem to separate them because it seems like everyone sometimes has urges to do something bad, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's why I was surprised when you said that the movie didn't have... Justin O's backstory where she killed someone and then just left and like went home and was like, I went to sleep and everything. She was basically like committed a hit and run with like a child. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I mean, and she checked and it was, I mean, it was a dead child and <laughs> yeah. she left. Like, didn't And she, she was like, well, he's dead, so I can't do anything. Yeah. And I have a lot of stuff and I think to do. <laughs> that's really important to yes. that question of like what it means to be human and like what is, <laughs> what it means to do something super inhumane like that mm-hmm. and just move on with your life. And then it's not in the movie. Yeah. It explains a lot too about like, why she feels this responsibility for Melanie. It's not mm-hmm. just that, oh, you know, like, Melanie loves me and she's a sweet girl and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like, I did this terrible thing and I'm trying to make up for it somehow. And it's like the movie was too scared to, like, make Justin O somehow not perfect because everyone sees mm-hmm. her as just, like, perfect and amazing. That's what makes it so good, though, in the book. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why it's so yeah. important. Oh, that, that That's a major... I mean, it, it seems like a minor thing because it's just one scene where you're talking about it, but that's a major part of her character and yeah. about, and it's a major part of, I think, what the book is, like, asking yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. It informs, like, all of her decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was very disappointed with the treatment of her character in the movie for lots of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. What do we think, what do we think the movie's trying to say about being human? Or the book, sorry. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep messing that up. I mean it for me it sort of speculates if being human is all that great, because we don't see any characters who are I mean, Miss Justin is nice, I guess, but I just didn't see what everyone loved about her. She was hot. I mean I guess <laughs> she smelled good. she treated the kids uh, better than the other teachers because she didn't she did see story them. time. She did story time. I mean, she didn't treat them as zombies as much as the other teachers did, which was nice of her. But it seemed like over and over again, the only thing everyone really, truly loved about Miss Justino, especially everyone except for Melanie, was she was hot. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's great. But I wanted to know more. I think with the kids, especially, and like we get... Like, the impression that she's, like, the favorite teacher. Yeah. And I think, like, these kids have such a limited experience of, like, what kind of people they've been exposed to in their lives that, like, you have these different teachers. And you, like, know that feeling of when you're a kid and you have this teacher who is, like, so enthusiastic about learning and the world and is, like, showing you all this stuff for the very first time and you just, like, love that teacher. Oh, for sure. Or, like, a babysitter that you have that you love. 
And I think like but, like what's Parks's excuse? He's a fucking or Gallagher's <laughs> excuse. I mean, I think Gallagher is straight up just like she's really pretty and it makes me nervous. I don't think he has like an emotional connection to her the way that like Melanie or Parks does. And yeah. I think Parks is sort of like I think I think Parks thinks that like gaining her trust slash approval will mean something because she is so against him. And so he thinks like if I can like make her like me, then I'm worth something. Maybe. I don't know if I give Parks that much credit. But I can definitely see that. I think that those were her his underlying because like I mean he could just be like she's hot, but like his That was his part intentions of it. that was part of it. But I think like <laughs> his he was putting her on a pedestal for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's why that conversation between them is important. Another reason why that conversation is important, because that's the first time that he realizes that she is not this, like, perfect woman that he assumed she was. It didn't. I mean, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking is, like, at the end of the novel, when all of these hungry kids who are smart are getting taught by Miss Justino, who has been proven to be, like, a kind, caring teacher, it seems hopeful to me. Because all of the, you know, quote, bad adults are gone at the end. And it's just the hungry kids and Miss Justino. And so it seems hopeful. But at the same time, it's depressing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, it, but it's still, like, it's hopeful that, like... It doesn't matter if you're technically human. You can be the sort of, like, fungus-controlled creature and still be (laughs) human, in a sense. Like, you don't have to be biologically human as long as you embody, like, some of the nicer qualities of being human. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do, like, humanity is based on, like, compassion versus apathy for those around you. Yes. And so you recognize, like... Melanie, even though she's not necessarily human, she shows that compassion for others, and you see her as human, and then you see the intelligent, hungry kids, like, taking care of each other for, like, that group of people, and so you recognize them as being, like, human in that sense, and then you see other people, like Dr. Caldwell, like, not having, you know, she shows, like, intense apathy towards those around her, and so you see her as the antagonist and not so much human, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And Parks kind of, like, shifts back and forth a little bit. I mean, I think in the end, we're all rooting for the children hungry is to like, make it and for Caldwell to die, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But we're also root- or supposed to be rooting, I guess, for, like, all of, basically all of the adults to survive except Caldwell. <laughs> she, I mean, Caldwell showed more. Which is not what happens. <laughs> more sympathy for, like, a brain slicer machine. <laughs> yeah, she anyway. was really psyched about finding that thing. <laughs> and, and, like, and, and also listening to it was so funny because it was like, there it was. <laughs> the machine. I know. She yeah. was like seriously in love with like all of the technology and that, and like just that the, she was calling it Rosie. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense though because she essentially was a scientist who didn't have stuff to do her science with and so when she gets it she's like oh my gosh i mean it's almost like um this is depressing but like when i came to this school and got my own desk i was like oh my gosh i have my own space i have a cubicle (laughs) like i was so excited (laughs) did you name it rosie i did not (laughs) well maybe you should (laughs) i don't have a cubicle anymore you have an office (laughs) 
so I don't feel bad for you. Did you try to drive your cubicle through a wall of fungus and crash it into a tree? <laughs> <I did. laughs> Guys, I just yeah. want to take a moment to point out Mary is trying to make us feel bad for her because she doesn't have a cubicle anymore, but she has a <laughs> fucking office. <laughs> so you're wow. not wrong. <laughs> wow, she Mary. buried the lead there. I did. So I had point of view problems with, and I know Emily did too. Uh-huh. Um, but the book switches point of view a lot um, from chapter to chapter, and every chapter starts out the same way, where it's like first name, last name, thought this, this, this. So it's always like Caroline Caldwell looked around, or <laughs> Helen Justino <laughs> tightened her scarf, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not the problem, though. I just noticed it <laughs> yep. because it annoyed the shit out of me. But, um, anyway, I thought the novel might have been more effective as a whole if everything was filtered just through Melanie's point of view. Because when we are in Melanie's point of view, it's just – I thought she was just so much more interesting, like, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was interacting with everything for the first time, and yet, like, we got to watch her come to understandings of stuff, and it felt real and authentic – and, like, no one else's revelations felt like that to me. It's sort of like when we read Room, and we read Room before we started this podcast, so sorry, but... One um, of the best books we've stars. read. Yeah, we, I think yeah. we've all talked about how, like, we gave really, really liked Room. And yeah, Adam, I gave it a five out of five. also likes Room, right? I, I like Room. Yeah. Good. <laughs> he, he, he likes Room a little bit. A little bit. He loves Room. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, like, when you're dealing with the perspective of somebody who is like seeing things and experiencing things for the first time, that interior um, can be really interesting because like, as they're viewing things for the first time, you're sort of like rediscovering what the world is like. I think in a way, like understand like why it doesn't work. And I also found that it was like a little stale at times and annoying that they did that back and forth. But I think it also helps that you have that dichotomy between the characters that are used to the world and disinterested with it mm-hmm. compared to her. And she's like seeing everything like signs, billboards, whatever, and just like freaking out about. Yes. So I think it kind of worked on that level a little bit, but I, it definitely went too far with that. I have a passage I wanted to read. This was the thing about the narration that annoyed me. <laughs> Helen Justino tightened her scarf. <laughs> <laughs> this is in in that section where I was bored as hell. So um, this is when they're they're walking into I think that town Stevenage. So this is like before they even get attacked the first time. Is it a um, Sergeant Parks chapter? Because his were really boring. <laughs> yes, this is a Parks chapter. His are the yeah. worst about this. So his are the worst. Parks and Caldwell both. But I kind so, of liked Caldwell's chapters. Yeah. I thought at the end when she was actually, like, doing stuff, great. The rest of the yeah. time, like, I didn't really care about her hands anymore. <laughs> so, anyway. Ooh. This is when they find that car that's sitting in the middle of the road and Parks is looking around it and they, he sees a guy inside that's, like, clearly been eaten by Hungries. And then Justino walks up. You try turning the key, Justino asks. Parks is really pissed off to see her walking right up to the car even though he hasn't signaled clear yet. But the woman's not stupid. On reflection, Parks is aware that his body language changed as he walked around the car from total threat readiness <laughs> to his still cautious but looser business as usual. She was just responding to that change a little faster than the others. Why? Why? What's the Does point that of explain that? to me? 
<laughs> and that happens for like a hundred pages. And then it, it doesn't happen as much <laughs> later. I don't know, like something happened in the middle where I was like, mm-hmm. yo, MR, <laughs> can't we just see a character react and interpret what that might mean because of how it happened? Like, I don't need to know. I have a theory about this. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. MR Carey is a comic book writer. Oh, Adam uh, was yeah, talking Yeah, I was going to say that. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Adam. Way to steal it. Way to steal it from oh. me. <laughs> no, you go ahead. You're the guest. Mr. Carey, Mike Carey. Yeah, he's he has a background in comic books and graphic novels. He wrote like Lucifer and a lot of like X Men origin comic books and Sandman and stuff. And I think like just because the way comic books are, a lot of times characters have thought bubbles and stuff that he's really mm. used to like having that inner monologue and sharing like what the character's thoughts are and okay maybe mm-hmm. writing a novel it kind of didn't translate necessarily as well as he was hoping i will mm-hmm. accept that and, and like as too, an explanation. When you write a co- if he is a comic book writer not an illustrator so when he writes scripts he would want to include tags like that like parks feels disappointed about this because then the artist would have to interpret well what does disappointed look like Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe this yeah. is cutting That's him too point. much slack, because he knew this was a novel when he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, like, unclear to him. <laughs> like, have yeah. you he read does, a novel I mean, before? <laughs> that, that kind of writing is less of a problem in Melanie's chapters, it seems like. Yes, and I so. think that's another reason why it feels, it's, it just feels more authentic, like, watching her yeah. realize things than it is to watch or listen to him watch someone's movement and then remember his last movement and how he might have thought she thought it this way but then he realized she <laughs> thought it was another thing like i don't give a damn about that <laughs> there are zombies come on <laughs> it's like he's writing out like every single thought process that occurs in the human brain that like happens so quickly that we don't even register it mm-hmm. but he's like explaining it in full yeah <laughs> and like- i think that i think that through how justin o does what she does there and if he got pissed we could interpret maybe why because that's a dangerous thing to do okay Mm -hmm. got it moving on yeah i think that was what made the middle kind of boring because like that makes it longer Mm -hmm. like it draws out the nothingness that's happening and i just once things are happening like that seems to be where mr carey can really like Shine. stride and yeah yeah like i thought i really thought some of the gory stuff was like really good yeah. but i like that shit so. i, I think too. like in this middle <laughs> section too mr carrie's establishing these relationships between these characters because these are characters who haven't had to like interact this intimately before mm-hmm. yeah. um and I'm, I'm not excusing it but i think like that's why some of the thoughts and interactions kind of seem a little like slow and stilted in the middle is because he's trying to like make very clear like what the dynamics between all these characters are and I think at sometimes maybe he like spends a little bit too much time on that and by like a little bit too much time I mean like a lot of time (laughs) so I think that's part of it too is like there's this huge change as we've mentioned there's this huge change from the beginning of the novel to the middle part of the novel where suddenly like Everyone is dead except for the small group, and they're, you know. Anyway, that's all I got. I have, I have a question. Nope. Um, if we want to talk about the movie for a second, yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, the movie. I guess we should talk about the movie. The thing that struck me, I mean, and I confessed before we started recording that I didn't finish the movie because I hated it so much. <laughs> 
So Adam Kelly and I are the only ones who have actually seen the whole movie. I watched. So everything Mary says. No, I watched half half of it all the way through, (laughs) and then I fast forwarded to the end. Half of it all the way through. (laughs) Yeah, that's an oxymoron. (laughs) So like, I skipped the part Susan's talking about that was boring. Uh huh. Because it was boring in the movie too, to me. So look, I had other stuff to do. (laughs) You're right. None of us had anything else to do. Yeah. So we have we have cubicles and we don't have anything to do. She has an office and she's very important. No. It's not true. Go ahead. I can't even get into that office yet. I don't have a key. I'm so sorry for you. Go ahead. Um one thing that struck me about the movies the movie is there's no junkers. Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing. This group that like follows uh, them around for a lot of the movie, you're just gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, th- they're the reason why their base is like broken Overrun, down in the first yeah. place. Adam, you sounded like you were going to say something about that. Was that something that like really stuck out? To oh, you about the too? junkers? Yeah. No, I think they had like a very important part in the book. Like they definitely were the reason that um, what Echo Hotel Echo was broken into. You know that main base, and then also they're chasing them throughout the whole thing. They're half of the threat, you know, the zombies are half of it, them following Mm -hmm. them or the other half. And then also when Melanie comes across the uh, intelligent hungries, Mm -hmm. she excuses them away as being a group of junkers to try and protect them to keep the rest of the group away from Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And they just cut that entire thing out of the movie. Yeah. And it was frustrating to that, especially at the beginning, because like when the the break in happens, because it's like, why hasn't this already happened if it's so easy for the zombies to come and break in? Exactly. Like, there was yeah. no explanation of why it's different this time. And I think, too, like, you know, earlier we were talking about what makes someone human. And I think the Junkers add an interesting um, element or an interesting extra level to that question because the Junkers are humans, but they're, they've sort of become animals yeah everybody in hotel echo considers them just as much of a threat just as inhuman as the hungry right yeah right but they are human it's just like it's a nice interesting contrast because melanie and the other intelligent hungries are more human than the junkers junkers. who just want to kill and rape and steal stuff yeah (laughs) right i don't know so I i think i think like taking them out really changes it for the worse yeah also glenn close Come on. Oh yeah, Glenn what Close. What about Glenn Close? Yeah. You mean the the girl from Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, Glenn Close <laughs> of Guardians of the Galaxy. What? <laughs> when I saw that in the Apple iTunes description, I was like, it, really? This is how you identify Glenn Close? <laughs> More like okay. Glenn Close of like so many movies. I think of her as a pirate from um, Hook. But yeah. but mostly Guardians of the Galaxy. Like Glenn Close, like famous fucking actress also of Guardians <laughs> of the yeah. Galaxy. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna say one, you gotta say Fatal Attraction. Yes. Well, I think that was also listed, to be fair. Um, But after Guardians of the Galaxy. After Guardians. Yeah. So, I guess when talking about the movie, you also gotta bring up the racial racial implications of casting (laughs) and roles differently. Uh, So, Adam, you were telling me earlier that you've read two different articles that sort of, like, defend both sides of the... I couldn't find the earlier article that I read, but yeah, they were really mad about it because they were talking about... So, for those of you who don't know, (laughs) um, Melanie and the... (laughs) 
in the book is a blonde haired white girl and Miss Justin who's like this gorgeous black woman. And in the movie, they flip the races and Melanie's this black girl and Miss Justin who's a white woman. And the first article I read, which I can't find anywhere, it was months ago, she was really angry about it because she was saying that it flipped this thing from a white girl admiring and looking up to a black woman into this thing where a black girl's idolizing this white woman and woman and learning how to fit into like a white world and fit into like that role that she's told to be and everything. So they're really mad about that. But then I read another one by, okay, it was on this website called the website's called black, black girl nerds.com. Okay. Yeah. We'll and, link in the show notes. And, and the yeah. article's actually written by a guy named Kevin Williams, who doesn't sound like he's black or a woman. Or a girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that he thought that the movie was successful in changing the um, races of these two main characters because it makes it more allegorical in a way because you have this black girl who's chained up and muzzled and controlled and seen as subhuman, but throughout the movie, she proves her worth and gains her independence and forces those around her to see her value and recognize her humanity. So he saw a more, like, positive thing about it, but... But I could see that. I just... I felt like, um, to... I just felt like Miss Justino not only, you know, casting boring-ass Gemma Arterton Blah. as her, and then having her be... Sorry, that's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then having her be, you know, a white woman. They, it also just, like, so much of her character was, was like, tamped down and just made into this very... Almost like, like, yes, she... She punches Caldwell and has, like, her moment of anger. But she's sort of, like, a lot more helpless, it seems like, in the movie. Also, they gave her an ugly outfit to wear. Yeah. I was like, why are you wearing this? You, this is very unflattering. And I Yeah, and then they, like, gave her really pale face makeup to make her look like she hadn't had anything to drink in, like, seven weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but aside from all that... Also, they cast a, a a black actor to play Gallagher, as though they were trying to like balance make the up, scales. Make up for it. <laughs> they were like, they were like, let's okay, well, we're gonna switch these roles, but then we'll also throw in another person of color just to. It didn't feel even to me. Yeah, yeah, Emily, you were talking about that earlier because it's just a whole bunch of white people black, in charge, black characters yep. in submissive roles, looking up to white characters. Yeah, yeah, like all all of the all of the roles that were like the smarter people or like the people in control were all like the white people. And then like the, the, the like one soldier who was under the Sergeant, he only had one. He was black. (laughs) Um, and the little girl is also black. And it just sort of seemed like this weird, um, hierarchy hierarchy of like white people dominating over black people, which like I'm sure wasn't, or, I want to hope it wasn't their intention, but that's, like, kind of how it came off to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and me- to be to be fair, Melanie does, you know, sort of, like, have control by the end of the film, like, of everything. Yeah. Um. So that's another thing. But I also just felt like, um, speaking, I mean, going back to Glenn Close, like, I felt really, they totally underused her, mm-hmm. but I also just felt like she was kind of miscast, because yeah. like, I mean, I felt like this whole movie was miscast. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I feel like changing Justino is the biggest misstep, 
And yeah. there are so many wonderful black actresses who could have played that role and played it really well. And I, I just think there's already, like, not a ton of great roles being written for black actresses. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this one could have been really great. Mm-hmm. And you slept on it. But then again, they <laughs> barely gave her character anything to do. That's so. true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Because it's like it's like they they sapped all of the life out of every single character. It was like they they seem to have such strong personalities in the book, and like you get such a strong sense of who they are and like what their motivations are, and like because they tell you how they act. Yeah, well, they tell you, but <laughs> even so, it, it works in that regard that you like understand yeah. what these people are like. Um, but yeah, in the movie, they just like don't have it they don't seem to have personalities they're all just like functioning as like little pieces of this plot but then there's not that much plot so after i finished watching the movie i was like what what took up that time like what was (laughs) happening because i feel like nothing happened and i don't know any of these characters and i'm just like you cut out so much of it, but, like, what did you substitute what you cut out with? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm, like, really confused. Yeah. So I'd say, overall, we we were not fans of the movie. Both no, of us and I'm really it. mad because I was led to believe by many of my favorite film podcasts that this was a great movie, and then I saw it, and I, I was, like, really expecting to like it. You know, I was excited to watch it because I really liked the book. I had heard well, really good things about it. It has a really good rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I watched it and I was like, the fuck was that? That's pretty much exactly how <laughs> yeah. I felt. <laughs> I thought it was okay. Well, yeah, it was fine. I'm being dramatic because, you know. I watched it with someone am. who hadn't read the book. Uh, I watched it with Ben. Y'all know Ben. He was, you know, fan Ask of Ask a Man, Man fame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I watched it with Ben and he hadn't read the book and, like, he. I mean, I don't think he like loved it, but as you guys know, Ben is I don't very picky movie about ben movies, loves, except for Alien. <laughs> ben loves Alien, and Ben loves. Predator. He really likes the Big it. Sick. He likes the Big Sick. He told me that he's been telling people unprompted to go see the Big Sick, and I was like, "Big so Sick was really good." Yeah, it was really good. Wait, you saw Big Sick too? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I know it was really. I good. laughed. I cried. <laughs> well, I didn't hear what you said. Funny story. <laughs> One of Emily and my friends, like, planned a big group outing to go see The Big Sick, and then Ben and Emily were there on their date, and they did not sit with us. <laughs> yeah, we sat behind them. <laughs> so they couldn't, wa- they couldn't watch our date because we were sitting behind them. You were probably making out the whole time. <laughs> nope. Gross. Yeah, that's why he liked the movie so much. No, <laughs> no it was really good. <laughs> so that's my recommendation, is The Big Sick. No. Anyway. Speaking of the big sick, we're talking about a zombie thing. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you can be led to let, to believe a movie's going to be good, and it's really not, though. Like Girls Trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Sally. Sally calling out Sally on this podcast because she texted me like, "Oh my god, Girls Trip is so good!" And then I was like, "Mary, we have to go see Girls Trip because Sally said it was good, and I trust Sally. I believe in her." You know what? <laughs> It was not. I, I mean, I will say, like most trust revoked. Most of the reviews yeah. I've read for it were really positive, and I just don't see it. I don't understand. But anyway, do we have anything else we want to say about this movie that we're supposed to be talking about, which is the girl with all the gifts? I didn't like it, but I liked the book. All right. So, like the book, not so hot on the movie. That's, that that's is my our hot opinion. take. I guess if I if yep. you really wanted to watch the movie, I would say like. 
maybe you should watch the movie first and then read the book because then you'll be like, that was an okay movie. And then you'll read the book and you'll be like, that was great. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that's the way to do it. Um, Cool. Do we have anything else we want to say about the book? Well, Adam, you said the movie ended differently in a way that was like enough to make you irritated with it. Can you talk more about that? Um, Well, we talked about the Junkers. We talked about um, them changing the races of two of the main characters. Um, I didn't know if you were talking about how Justin is not in a hazmat suit. She's still, like, contained. Yeah. I don't know. There was something about the ending that just felt a lot more rushed and a lot less satisfying to me in the movie than in the book. Yeah. Uh But it's been a while, like I said, since I've seen the movie, so I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember watching it and just being like, wow, that was way more satisfying than the (laughs) book. We talked a little (laughs) bit about the whole, like, when she, like, sets the spore things on fire or whatever and how that mm-hmm. was different in the book and the movie and I think it was like a big wall and stuff in the mm-hmm. book and then it was a tower in the movie yeah like, and I don't think in the movie maybe I'm wrong but does, does Melly even like really get into like why she's doing what she's doing well she kind of in the book she kind of like tricks Parks into doing it right right in the, in the movie does she do it herself she does what? it she herself. does it herself and then yeah. she explains to him while it's happening yeah well because he in the in the movie he is inside the thing the the Rosalind Franklin yes inside Rosie yeah. and then he comes out to come find her but she has set the thing on fire so she intended for him and Justin to stay in there and stay safe okay yeah. but he got out and then he breathes in the spores in the book one of the zombie children had already bit him that's right, yeah. So, uh, he was gonna die anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I just feel like in the book it was a lot more drawn out and, like, a lot more, um, there was, like, more of a build-up. In the book, she beats the, uh, intelligent hungry kid to death with the bat, but that doesn't happen in the movie, right? That does happen in the movie. But it happens, oh, it like, at a different point. It happens earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, well, she, ne- they never get to the part where the hungry children are attacking Caldwell. Yeah. And they don't have Caldwell running away in the RV. No. And I really liked that part. And that was like one of the times when having the different point of views worked for me in the book was that they had all these different point of views like leading up to Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. like final moment. So So you got the sense that all this stuff's happening at the same time and that it's really tense, but we get to see what's happening with everybody. Exactly. Kind of like how in the uh, book, Melanie tricks Caldwell into letting her in. Yeah. She sneaks into the... And that doesn't really happen. Oh, yeah. And we talked about this a little bit, too. Sorry. Adam and I had a little, like, pregame where we, like, talked about (laughs) the book and the movie. like And got drunk. Yeah. We pregamed. We're real drunk right now. Anyway, um, we we also talked about how the confrontation between Caldwell and Melanie is, like, very different in the book than from the movie. Like, because in in the movie, I got the sense that Caldwell still felt like if she got a hold of Melanie and was able to dissect her that she would be able to find the cure, right? But then in the yes. book, Caldwell very much understands, like, that's not that's not possible. Mm-hmm. She recognized them as being second-generation hungries. Right, yeah. like and that's not really different. acknowledged yeah. in the movie. So yeah. that's a pretty big change, I feel. Yeah. <sighs> uh, so anyway... <laughs> Books and movies, they're different. The book is always better, unless it's Fight Club. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Chuck Palahniuk.
<laughs> yeah. It is Polonic. <laughs> well, I'm just like Fight Club is just an excellent movie. We we keep talking about other movies that we like better than Girls All Against. The pre- the Prestige and Fight Club are the only two movies that I think are better than the books that I've read. It's just my opinion. And I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read Fight Club, so I can't I mean, really you're not missing that, me. But yeah. I'm sure it's better. Yeah, you yeah. don't need to I mean, if you've seen the movie, that's all you need to do. The other things I've read by him, I was like, never again. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, why don't you write into us and let us know if you can think of any other movies that you like better than the book. Uh, yes. Our email address is booksquadgoals at booksquad.inc. Like a squid. Like a squid. And if you have any questions or comments about The Girl with All the Gifts, please email us or hit us up on social meds. Also, Yay. before you say that The Shining was better as a movie, don't. <laughs> then go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we're done with the book, I think we should let Adam go because I know he's got a lot of packing and stuff Adam, to do. Adam, yeah. do you not want to talk about Bye, The Bachelorette? Adam. No, not this time. <laughs> i got to catch up on it. Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe go, next go watch and then tweet us. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Adam. Yes. Thanks for being here. All right, we're going to do five-minute Bachelorette opinions on the finale because Susan's stressing out about it right now. Okay, I'm setting the timer. Go. Okay. Um, so uh, I first would like to start this off by saying Peter got really upset about getting dumped on TV, or I guess it was like a mutual breakup, and he took his sweater off to dry yeah. his tears, and it was really intense for a lot of reasons. He rendered his sweater. Was that what it yeah. said? <laughs> New York Times, or no, the New Yorker. I'm going to get this wrong. Some New York thing said that he rendered his sweater, and I was like, Did? well. Yep. It was very intense. It was very mm-hmm. intense for the wrong reasons, I think, um, because it felt like Rachel really wanted to pick Peter, but she wanted an immediate proposal, and he wasn't prepared to give that to her. And honestly, I don't really blame him, because if I knew somebody for two months, not dated them for two months, not whatever with them, but just knew them for two months, I would not be ready <laughs> to propose either. That's it's kind of crazy to me, and maybe it's because I can't get my mind in the, the like game show zone, but I was like texting people saying, this is stupid. Yeah, it's totally insane. I got so angry I had to walk around the neighborhood. It's insane, and I agree with him. I wouldn't do it either, but, like, you're also that is the show. what the yeah. show... I mean, but that is, like, the point of the yeah. show or whatever. I mean, and people have not proposed in the past at the end, and it's fine. Like, I don't think it's weird or anything. I don't think you yeah. have to propose. But mostly it was just really hard to watch because, like... It was boring. The longest section of the show was them breaking up. And it was, yes. like, a real breakup, which you yes. don't normally see on TV. And, like, we – I don't think they cut a lot out of that breakup either. It looked like we were just watching the whole breakup. And so, like, by the end of it, I was like, well, I am emotionally drained and I couldn't really – I wasn't that excited at the end when they got when she did get engaged because yeah. I was still like emotionally <laughs> distraught from watching everyone's hearts get ripped out. And yeah, eyelashes just, cried off, and <laughs> yeah, he, Peter was like, "Your eyelashes fell off while you were crying, and they were on my floor for like two days, and I couldn't 
I couldn't bear to pick them up. And so I just like cried every time I saw them. I was like, whoa, oh my God, this is too real. Yeah. And also though, aren't, did you for a second think like, what is the maid service doing at that hotel though? Like, why didn't they pick it up? I think they left it there on purpose. He probably just didn't leave his room because he was just like sobbing into a, into his sweater for days. It was really sad because like, I've had a breakup that felt like really similar to that where like, we were just like at a point where you couldn't come to an agreement on something and like you care about each other. And while you're breaking up, you're just saying that, like how much you care about each other. And so it really sucks because you're like, well, shit, maybe it's wrong. And they said, I, they both said, I love you. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard to watch. Yeah, I just I couldn't. Like, I remember more about that than I do about the actual proposal. I didn't really enjoy the proposal that much. Because yeah. you just said, give me the ring. Like, give it to me. The proposal lacked. Uh, lacked. That made it. That made me not like Rachel as much. <laughs> I'm sorry say to say. Stop it. <laughs> stop. Stop. I still love Rachel. Right now. But she is no longer my queen. She's maybe like a princess. I still, I still Ugh, love Rachel. She's still my queen. Just, Rachel, remember I stuck with you. And I have a much smaller version of her engagement ring. So. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even watch the finale because I saw what was going to happen. I heard about what was going to happen. And I was like, do I really need to put myself Yes, this? Kelly. This is training. <laughs> do I really need to watch three goddamn hours? <laughs> no, save your energy for BIP next week. Save your energy for BIP. The finale is normally like, I mean, even when there there is always a breakup, obviously. But the finale is normally really joyful and the after the final rose, which normally is actually after the episode and not during it, is also joyful. But, like, she had to sit there and watch her own stuff happen and then immediately talk about it mm-hmm. live, which was, like, also not that – I don't know. It was weird. By the end, I just wasn't – I didn't feel, like, happy at the end. I was just no. like, oh, God. Like, I just, I've got to go to bed. <laughs> so I have one question about The Bachelor, and then I'm assuming it's probably time for us to move on. But so Rachel – on the after the final rose was like I don't think Peter that that this bachelor thing is for you which basically is like I don't think you should be the next bachelor and I know a lot of people have been saying Peter is going to be the next bachelor so what do you guys think does this like ruin his chances I of think being the bachelor he needs to be the next bachelor so Kelly can fall in love yeah yeah true I still have to send my photos to Ben Yes, Ben, my, <laughs> ben my is um, submitting Kelly's application so that she can be on The Bachelor yes. next Kelly, season. Please, please, Kelly. I do not want to get married. I'm just going to say that. I wish it would be Kenny. Oh God! But anyway, yeah. um, no, I I don't know if that hurts his chances or not. I mean, I feel like that's why she said it. Mm-hmm. Like it was a really specific comment, but yes, I feel like if they really wanted Peter to do it. Which I don't even know if he really has the, like, charisma to carry a season. Well, and I don't know if he would want to. If they wanted him to do it, they could work that into his storyline. Like, that's how he realized he could be ready to blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, they'll make it a thing. So, but I think they're probably just going to let Dean. Yeah, I think it's going to be Dean. Ugh, I don't like him. I don't really either. I don't get it. I don't know why everyone loves Dean so much. He doesn't use soap. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted it to be Eric until his After the Final Rose moment where he was just being corny as hell. Like, basically, just, like, it's miracle season. Whatever happens, happens. Like, you know, you got to live your truth. I was like, can you please just say something that is, like, actual human 
conversation. He came out like, looking real good and then just was like, platitudes, platitudes. Yeah. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. Eric died on the set of The Bachelor and, <gasps> and then they replaced him with a robot Miracle that just had bot. several catchphrases. <laughs> 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 I like I I love Eric, but I just I don't want to have a season of The Bachelor with just like you mean you don't want to have a miracle season? No. <laughs> yeah, think how many times you have to hear that. No, that's no, cannot. So okay, that's The Bachelorette, and I think Susan's planning on writing about that for her blog, maybe. So maybe you'll hear some more about it. Maybe not. Yes, I think I will write about it. All right. Okay, so we have some uh, reader questions and comments uh, that we want to get to, and we got a lot of good ones. Listener questions and comments. Listener questions <laughs> and comments. I mean, they are also readers. Yes. <laughs> and readers. <laughs> Rebecca from Lafayette, Louisiana, says... I liked Perfect Little World. The concept isn't entirely new, and yet Kevin Wilson makes it come alive with the characters. I was wondering if you might comment on the visceral writing about cooking the pig and what bring what that brings to the novel. I also have some questions about infidelity. Can humans live like that in close proximity and stay monogamous? Does infidelity in heterosexual sexual in heterosexual <laughs> couples <laughs> always have to cause everything to break apart? Yes. Yes. I want to say yes, but I don't know. I will say <laughs> the visceral writing about cooking the pig was probably the best writing in the whole book. Yeah. No. But I mean, yeah, that's fair. I liked the pig yeah. writing a lot. I mean, like I said, this is a novel about barbecue more than anything else. <laughs> a tale of, <laughs> of barbecue. Barbecue, group parenting. Group parenting. I would agree with that. I think that was also... The strongest writing in the book. I was. I think there should have. I mean, there probably would have been more infidelity. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was surprised by how little there was. Although maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was some that we just didn't even hear. Well, about. as soon as everyone there was were like, so many characters. "What if we just put our names in a hat and drew them out and like made out a little bit?" I was like, "Oh, here we go." Like as soon as you yeah. start entertaining that idea. I mean, it's possible that you're also just, like, in a house with a bunch of ugly people who you're not into. Mm -hmm. In which case, you know. The question of does infidelity in heterosexual couples always have to cause things to break apart, I I don't think the answer is yes. No. Like, um. I, like, for me, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. Maybe. I mean, but, I mean, even speaking from experience, I don't, I don't think that that's. I know people true. who have had infidelity in a relationship and like worked it out. Well, and it, it's almost like, you know, when someone is a drug addict, for example, like the addiction is like a symptom of this larger problem, you know, that they're self-medicating or something. Infidelity is not always just like infidelity for infidelity's sake. There right. are so, there are a lot of factors that can cause that kind of thing to happen. Yeah. And I would say living <laughs> right with each other is maybe one of them. That could, but I mean, there are a lot of reasons people cheat. I think, and they're not all simple. So, yes, context is really important, and situation is really important. And this is just kind of like too outlandish of a premise 
to yeah i guess when i was saying yes i was thinking about like couples who just like swing all the time mm-hmm. and like oh. like <laughs> like, yeah. like like polygamy i don't i don't know if i believe polygamy could work but maybe that's yeah. just my closed but mind. i would i think a polygamist would argue that that's not infidelity yeah that's true yeah i'm so basic guys i'm sorry <laughs> I'm not a polygamist, just so you know. On the flip side of Rebecca's comment, Erin from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, says, Perfect Little World was a huge disappointment for me. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest disappointment was the relationship between Izzy and Grind. First of all, it seems super unethical. And also, I really just didn't like it. I agree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know we agreed. Also, Erin says, while an experiment like this could happen, it would be a logistical nightmare. I would hate to be anyone working on this project. Like, if anything goes wrong with the project, like if someone tries to commit suicide, you would be forever associated with this mess. And if it goes well, you'll always have people that shame you for fucking up the standardized familial values. Like, a lot of research findings make people unhappy, but this particular project just has too much potential risk associated with it for me to be interested. It would have been interesting to see them explore that risk more in the novel. I agree. There doesn't seem to be, like, a whole lot of consequences for Dr. Grind essentially having this project go off the rails. Yeah, Yeah. everyone's just happy and, like, goes to a barbecue and listens to blues music together at the end. And I just have a really hard time believing that. I mean, I don't think he would have been able to get any findings from his research. And I'm like, did the IRB approve this? I doubt anything (laughs) came out of it, honestly. It was just, like, a whole big, like, ten-year-long clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you, Erin. So are those all our questions about Perfect Little World? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So now we're going to get into The Couple Next Door, which is our favorite book ever. And after this, we're never going to talk about it again. So everyone... It's dead to us. Get your film What now. about when we're mad at Mary, though? Okay. So Colin from Denver, Colorado. Hi, Colin. Um, says, I agree with everything you said about The Couple Next Door. And yet, I still like the book. What made the novel enjoyable for me is the same thing that makes a bag of Doritos enjoyable. I hate Doritos. Uh, I what? I love I them. fucking love Doritos. What is wrong with you people? I don't know. They taste like feet. I love them too. They're so good. But you really do feel not great after. So. Right. So Colin is saying that this book is like a bag of Doritos. Um, she says, I feel like shit later when I realize what chemical crap I just ate, but while it went down, it was entertaining. <laughs> also, this book would be equivalent to eating an entire family-sized bag of Doritos, probably. We're not talking about the snack <laughs> size thing. <laughs> and by the way, I wasn't feeling guilty about the Doritos until you decided to point out how mm-hmm. unhealthy they were. So, I'm sorry. I would agree that the couple next door is like a bag of Doritos because much like Doritos, I hated the couple next door. <laughs> uh, well, I love Doritos. They're amazing. But thank you, Colin. Yes. Um, that is a masterfully written comment. Yes. 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 Yeah. This next one is from Kelly with an I, which is my name what? from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So this is about the couple next door. I definitely have thoughts, and you covered many of them in the episode. But first, I want to say that you should totally make Goodreads Reviews a regular segment. You know, your own version of mean tweets. I laughed way too hard hearing the reviews for this book. Oh, my God. I agree with Kelly. That. I totally uh, agree. Consider it done. But it only really works as well if we really hate it. I have yeah, never so. laughed so hard 
or not laugh so hard in a long time as I laughed when I was listening to the podcast to make the table of contents and heard Sue's review again. Sue, oh my God. who said, Sue 1958. I'm glad my back is hurt. When I was <laughs> editing that, I was, Emily was in the room with me and I was literally crying. <laughs> like, because I was laughing so hard. I hope, I hope your back's better, Sue. I hope oh she writes God. to us one day. Checking up on you, Sue. Anyway, back to the comment. One of the many things that drove me crazy about this book is that the author explained too much, telling the reader the character's motivations. Parentheses. She was hungry. She hadn't eaten since yesterday because she was stressed. She decided to eat breakfast. I've noticed this is a trend in many popular books, television, and movies. Why? Such as The Girl with All the Gifts, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Part of the reason I like reading suspense is the fun of detection. I like figuring things out. I'm not sure if authors are underestimating readers' intuition or if some readers like this kind of thing. Or if some readers like this kind of thing. It drives me crazy being told what to think, especially when it's something so obvious. Anyway, sorry for the long post rant over. Totally agree. I agree agree with you so much. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. was totally a problem. I mean, it's a problem in The Girl with All the Gifts, but it's a huge problem in The Couple Next Door. Yes. Which goes back to the ultimate you know, first rule of writing that you learn, which is show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, did you write you this comment? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know this person? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> you all acted really confused when I said that there was a Kelly comment from Hattiesburg. You were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren from Nashville. I want to explain a little bit about this one before I read it. So last week, Lauren from Nashville texted me because she was seeing our posts about the couple next door episode. And she was like, Jesus, Susan, did the author of this book kill your dog? Like, why do you hate it so much? And I was like, Lauren, it's really bad. And She's like, okay, well, I'm going to read it anyway. Oh, no. And then I, <laughs> I saw her last weekend, and she cut me off mid-sentence. I was telling her something else. She cut me off, put her hand on my hand, and said, I want to deeply apologize for what I said. Yes. This book is fucking terrible. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. I knew you would hate it. So she's she's committed to finishing it now, but she tweeted um, – she actually tagged Sherry Lapina in a tweet, which oh. I thought was awesome. Oh, so damn. She tweeted, shitty writing is one thing, but I hope at Sherry Lupina plans on taking responsibility for perpetuating stigmas about antidepressants. Hashtag not okay. Um, and then she also said, I write contract. I, I wonder if Sherry Lupina. Re- she has not yet. Um, and she also said, I write contracts for a living and they have more emotion and intrigue than this book. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but now I'm like, now you have to keep reading because the end is coming and the end is going to get you. So, <laughs> so many. And by get you, I mean it's gonna piss you off. It's gonna get you. So, yeah. So she had similar feelings on the, uh, and she has not listened to our episode, so she did not know that we talked about antidepressants for like twenty minutes. Well, yet. she's gonna so. enjoy the episode so much. When she, she will because it is reviews. it is right in line with that comment. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> JB from Hamilton, Mississippi, asks, "What redeeming quality, if any, did the couple next door have?" <laughs> There had to be some selling point to make it a successful novel. What do you lot think it was? Where Fifty Shades had poorly written weak plot, sexual deviancy that doesn't reflect true BDSM, it snagged people with overt and mainstream sexual energy. What was the catch for the couple next door? From the podcast, it was horrible, cover to cover. All right. It was 
horrible. It, yeah, I mean, nothing. I think probably what hooks people is it's like crime ish, and there's always going to be a market for like poorly written crime thriller, easy to read, yeah, just like really fast. Well, the thing is, like, what confuses me so much is that, like, books like this are a dime a dozen. People write them constantly. People are, tr- like, constantly trying to get them published. And so many of them come out every year. Like, again, I work at a publishing company. The number of books that I work on that have this same sort of plot of, like, domestic intrigue thriller involving usually a crazy woman of some kind, which all sort of started with Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every book after that point was trying to sort Even of like... Gone Girl. Yeah, ride the coattails of Gone Girl's success and, you know, try to be the next one. And and so, like, that's obviously what this was going for, like, at least as far as, like, the hook. Um, and I think even, like, you know... Back cover quotes would say, like, blah, this year's Gone Girl and stuff like that, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. but first of all, it's not. And second of all, I don't understand quite why it was this book over any of the other hundreds of books that come out every year that are just as good as this one. And by just as good, I mean just as bad. It could have to do with marketing. Yeah, it's just marketing. Yeah, yeah. marketing or this author had the right connections as well, like the right authors to write blurbs for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, because I, I really don't know. I mean, I can tell you that based on the the positive reviews that we read, the quote twists and turns were what really, <laughs> what people like. But like, this, I would say this is almost more in the vein of Girl on the Train. Which I did not really like i mean it was okay it was better than this it was better than this yeah but then girl in the train was also hopping off of gone girl wasn't it mm-hmm. I, yes i think so but this is more of the i think girl in the train was trying the, the twisty stuff at the end you know mm-hmm. like where a lot of stuff happens right at the end like yeah um it was like this was trying to do that but like the whole time and um it wasn't done as well the twists weren't good. good. No, and like you said, they're they're not as suspenseful because it's usually not a s- total surprise to the audience. It's a surprise to someone else in the in book, the book. Mm-hmm. which is less exciting <laughs> than when I find out. So, yeah, JB, the answer is nothing. <laughs> I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is really poorly written, yes, but people were just hyped because they were like, oh my god, it's a sex book. Um, you can, okay, that's easy to find too, though. Like, like for free. On let me tell you. That's your online, jam. Yeah. There's exactly. better fan fiction written than Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly. Which is also yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey is a fan fiction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> I haven't read it and I refuse to, but I have seen both of the movies and Same. goddamn, they are bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. I just like to watch the Fifty Shades of Grey movie and think, I mean, I've only seen it once, but I liked to go see it and think, like, they hate each other. Yeah. Like, those oh my two God, actors hate do. each other so much. They don't 
at all look like they want to have sex with they don't. We're definitely going to have to do an episode when the next one comes out. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, we can yes. rewatch all of them. No. Just to no. Prepare. But I won't watch the new one. Yeah. I won't read it, though. I refuse to fucking no. read it. I've read, like, a paragraph of it, and I was like, yep, that's that's." It bad. used to be, like, when I was a master's student, it was, like, a party game for us. We had James Joyce's letters to his wife, Nora, and we had Fifty Shades of Grey, and we had, like, certain scenes dog-eared, and it was, like, a game. Who can read it dramatically without laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I would win. I'm really Joyce, good Joyce, you dirty bird. <laughs> What is on the blog? I guess Susan has just published her thing. Her bachelorette thing. Yeah, yes. now I have to write about the bachelorette. You don't have to. <laughs> Susan has just published a post on the bachelorette, like we just said earlier in this episode. Yeah. And also, uh, Emily and I, uh, we went to see Hamlet Ooh. while she was visiting me, starring Oscar Isaac and Keegan-Michael Key. And you and met, met them. them. And Oscar Isaac a little... touched you, was standing next to you in person. Yeah. I can't talk about it. It was a very private moment. Keegan Michael Key took a selfie with my phone. He touched so his your phone. Hands have been on my phone. This is a celebrity phone, <laughs> everyone. Put it on eBay. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, Emily and I had a conversation. Um, about and Hamlet. we did a sort of like conversational blog post about Hamlet, uh, which is half very intellectual discussion and half <laughs> fangirling. Yeah. So uh, please go ahead and check that out. Check out Susan's blog post. Check out all of our other wonderful posts that have come out on the blog. The two-part Angels in America posts that Emily and Mary did, which yeah. are both really excellent. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. So our blog is... Uh, if you just go to booksquad.inc and click on blog or booksquad.inc slash blog. It's there. Or it's there. follow any of the mini links on our social media accounts. Yeah. yeah. And please do follow all of our social media accounts, which are at booksquadgoals. Um, that's very important. You know what else is important, guys? Rating you know us. Reviews. Reviewing yeah. Reviewing. yeah. Rating us and reviewing us on iTunes. Because honestly... And I know I say this every time, but, like, if you haven't done that for us and you're listening right now, like, I don't understand what's wrong with you. Yeah, like, Like, what did we do to you? What did we do? Like, please. (laughs) What did we do? It helps us, and it helps us help you. (laughs) Okay, last thing, though. We have to talk about what's happening next on the podcast for our next mini-sode. Um... I am very excited for two reasons. Reason number one, I am interviewing Laurel Snyder, uh, YA author, about her new book, Orphan Island, which I'm really excited about. Um, And we're also going to do a giveaway of a signed copy of that book, which it's a really fun book. I'll tell you all about it more next week after I've, or in two weeks after I've read it. So <laughs> this is very exciting for us because it's our first interview. Yes, we hope to do more. So first you know. of many. Um, mm-hmm. Authors are calling us all the time. Yeah. yeah. So we got a whole list. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Sherry Lupino will tweet back. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's have her on. Let's have a dramatic episode <laughs> wherein we bring on Sherry Lupino. I feel like she her. would burn a, burn this it place would be to the like ground. The episode of Oprah. <laughs> 
where she brought the guy who wrote A Million Little Pieces on, and she was just like, how? Yes. 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 Or, um, like, the, the like, This American Life episode where he brings back that Mike Daisy dude who lied about all the Apple stuff. Yeah. Did you or, guys listen to that? Or the Daily Show episode when <laughs> he brings on uh, Tommy, Tommy Lauren. Yes. Is that how you say her name? Nope. That's not how you say her name. But how do you say it? Tommy Laren. Tommy Laren. Ew. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Tommy. Tommy Laren. I was trying to make it sound pretty. Yeah. But no. Anyway, uh, yeah, that Tommy cool. is not really pretty either. I mean, let's be honest. I was trying. Trying. <laughs> well, she had... Never mind. <laughs> so the second, the second reason I am excited about our next podcast is we're going to be talking about my favorite thing in the whole world, Harry Potter. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Susan is going to be reading the second book, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we're going to have her official sorting into a Hogwarts house on the yes. podcast and I'm so excited. I Our hope you're first ever with me. sorting <laughs> on the podcast. So basically the next episode is just going to be uh, about young adult lit. It's going to yeah. be young adult and children. if any of you can tell me where I put yeah. the second book. <laughs> that would be great. Because <laughs> I did get it out to start it and I'm not 100% sure where it is. But I'll find it and I'll read the shit out of it. And then I'm gonna get sorted! Yay, if you liked sorted. the first one, I'm excited for you to read the other ones because they just get better. Yes. yes. Yeah, so I've heard. And true. Um, and also on for our next book, which is in a month's time, we are reading Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, uh, which is my choice. Mm-hmm. So you can blame me. If we don't like it. I really like the cover, so that's a good start. Also, I really like Lauren Groff just, like, as a person. Yes, so, I love yeah. Lauren Groff. I started She's reading great. it today, and I'm really enjoying, like, the first 20 pages, so. Awesome. It's very Florida, which excites me, too. Ooh. You'll get to talk about your Florida roots. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's about it, I think. So, once again... Follow us on all the things, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Email us, booksquad at booksquad. No. Nope. Booksquadgoals <laughs> at booksquad.inc. One day, uh, Kelly, you'll get it right. Like, like a, a squid. squid. I'm never, ever going to get this right, so. And again, thank you, Adam, so much for being a guest yes. star on the show and you really were a star a star Adam was a more prepared star. than all of us yeah. yeah yes you stole the show in a good way <laughs>